Views expressed by Casters Guild members are only the opinions of that member, and that could change from day to day. Guild members may use mature language, but that in no way means they are mature. Listener discretion is advised. I brew, you brew, we all brew some homebrew. It doesn't matter if it's one stat block or an entire world, you can make whatever you like. And that's the spell we're casting tonight on Casters Guild. Thank you for tuning in tonight's episode of Caster's Guild. I am your guildmaster and mostly homebrew virgin, Rick Perry. And I am your guildmaster and pretty much only do homebrew, Baron Kang. And joining us again as a returning guild member, feel free to introduce yourself. And I am Anthony Polly Homebrewis. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. A little, a little bit of column A, a little column B. Uh-huh. I've heard of both ways. <laughs> yeah. And this is uh, basically our third part in our how to play D&D series. We've taught you how to play. We've taught you how to be the DM. Now that you've played for a little while, you've DM'd for a little while, now it's time to dip the toe into creating your own beasts, your own items, your own world, and everything. So let's go ahead and kick this off with uh, what was your first homebrew? Uh, Mine was, well, in a fantasy setting, it was oh, so long ago, I can't remember, but it was this very Arabian kind of setting, uh, you know, like the whole you all start as slaves kind of situation. And we ended up, it, it was very much of that kind of fun, loose, Aladdin y Disney kind of vibe where, like, yeah, we were fighting evil, but like it wasn't, it wasn't heavy, like a lot of narratives, which I really liked. But in regards to like tabletops in general, um, it was Mage the Ascension, and we were fighting the Void. I think is is essentially what it was. But yeah, so Mage the Ascension was the first experience with TTRPGs, and of course, like it was also a homebrew setting as well. You know how fucked up that is. I mean, really, anybody listening at home that has had any experience with Mage the Ascension, <laughs> I liked it. What is oh it? no, no, that's fine. Yeah, but it was like your first foray into it was Mage the Ascension. Yeah, Christ. <laughs> yeah, what, is that like a? So I I've heard that a lot, but I never understood why that reaction is. Have you played Werewolf the Apocalypse? No. Have you played Vampire the Masquerade? I have witnessed it. I have I've watched other people play, but I haven't actually okay. played myself. So you don't realize how simple those two games are as compared to Mage. Oh, really? Yeah. It was a little like I mean, I got it, but in comparison to like, you know, 5e which were which I run primarily now, it was like astoundingly more difficult. But of course, like I tried to get into the the hyperfixate on like 3.5 and such, which was very rules heavy. But yeah, like in comparison to Five E, that's a, it was definitely a night and day kind of experience. I think it's probably a a thrown into the deep end kind of thing. Like in order to yeah, learn how to yeah. swim, you threw yourself or whoever threw you right into the deep end, and you just learned how to swim. So mm-hmm. now it didn't seem that difficult because that's how you learned. Whereas like other people who started in the kiddie pool and started to work their way up to the deep end, it starts to seem a lot more difficult. Well, that's how I learned how to swim anyways, so it kind of poetic. <laughs> Fair. Now, you said that was a homebrew world, but, like, again, anybody that, like, kind of knows White Wolf, it's canonically 
Earth. Yeah, like, it so is, it was Earth, but like the uh, the the conflict, the apocalyptic setting that was kind of uh, was the the homebrewy thing out of uh, our game master's mind brain. Got it. Also, for those listening at home, I have chickens in my office, so I am not strangling them. They are just loud assholes. <laughs> so those of us, those of you that don't have the video access that we do, Anthony's a fucking liar. I'm he's absolutely just, choking my he's chicken. He's just choking them right <laughs> on video. Yeah, that's actually the inspiration for my homebrew. <laughs> I won't be elaborating. I, as well, you should not. Yeah, there are children that listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, not not according to our demographics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh well. So we, we are safe. marked. We are marked explicit. So we're good. <laughs> That just means that the cool children listen. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so my... It's weird. My first homebrew was literally the first game I ever DM'd. The first game I ever ran. And it was... Um, because I didn't... All I had when I started out were the AD&D books. I, I didn't know... Oh my god, no. I didn't even have those. I had those red ones. Wasn't that wasn't that AD and D? The red box the, was AD and D. Yeah, with the no, the I'm talking about the the thin the thin ones. Yeah, that wasn't AD and D. Mm. A and D D were like big hardcover books. Really? Pretty sure. I mean, I'm I, I'm deferring to you because I well never played then AD&D, again so. well then again the AD and D that I'm used to was also what was referred to as second edition. Yeah, mm. like I always assumed that original Dungeons and Dragons was just a chainmail supplement. And it wasn't like a standalone oh, game no, no, until A D and D. I wasn't saying I was playing original D and D either. Yeah, um, yeah. My um, my first DMing experience was homebrew because I wasn't about to be bothered with reading any of these published article or published books. I ended up doing a published uh, book, and I think that the homebrew is more well received for my players uh, than going through Out of the Abyss. But that being said, Out of the Abyss is already a it's a trudge, man. It is a task to go through that whole uh, campaign, but but yeah, same. Uh, my first DMing experience was homebrewy as well, and it's kind of shaped the world that I kind of built for my home games. That'll always kind of be canonically in this like lore, I guess, mythos and such. Right, right. Uh, and I will I will say that it was very very this um, homebrew that I came up with was very much just a way for me to explore my fascination with mythology. Because it was essentially just a world with three zones. There was an ice zone. There was like a uh, middle area that was separated by sea, and and there was like little th- like little archipelagos and stuff like that that would jut out into the water, and islands. And then there was a desert. They had the Norse gods, the Greek gods, and then the Egyptian gods. So were your were your gods like actually canonically the like the Earth? mythos of these gods or are they kind of okay cool that's awesome i always like that like some of the 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 lore that you get like uh baron knows that i'm i just finished the uh uh, the chronicles of uh dragonlance uh the the core four books and i like that that series the gods that are in there are also the gods that you see in like Faerun, but they just by different names like paladin is bahamut takaisis is uh tiamat etc there's a lot of overlap there and i've I've always liked the idea of in a homebrew fantasy setting connecting that with the real world because I mean 
gods are like the same thing with with any culture, right? You can have like this god met was essentially the same thing as this god in these different cultures from around the world. So, do you figure yes. it out which uh, which which one edition the books were? Well, how do you know I'm even looking for it? That's not <laughs> that's not cool. You don't know what I'm doing because I can in see my free you. Time. <laughs> you don't know it. Just, it just says Dungeons and Dragons on it. But then again, they were also dicks and made the new box set the same way. Like it, it from what I can tell. Oh, that's for a dramatic effect. It's hard for me to tell because, oh, like, because the red I, is what I remember is, and I don't know if this is just my memory playing tricks on me. The D and D set that I had was like the red cover, and it had that Larry Elmore work of art on it. But I don't know if that's just me like, oh, I remember this box set. But I know that my my original one was a red cover. I just may not remember what exactly was on it. Sure. I think um, I didn't realize my first homebrew was homebrew. And, and this is where my home homebrew imposter syndrome sets in because like, I've never like sat down and written anything as far as homebrew goes. I've always been a run the module kind of guy. And since I started DMing in fourth edition all the way up until now DMing in fifth edition, I've just read the book and gone, wouldn't it be better if it was this? And then decided it was that. And that's homebrew. So I think it originally started with the fourth edition game that I was running where I was kind of get getting burnout on DMing. So a friend of mine who played in that group said that like he would step in for a couple of modules because the way I was doing it back then, fourth edition had a bunch of interconnected Fae run uh, or not right way Fae rune uh, Lost the Forgotten Realms modules. There was like four one and four two and four three and like you can kind of run them in whatever order you want and basically we were taking those and piecemealing them together into a campaign and like tying them together however we could figure out how to time together so he offered because it was kind of getting burnt out and he wanted to learn how to dm he offered to step in and dm for a few of those and i created a character and then i would make that character still exist as an npc when i would step back in and i would dm and eventually that character's backstory became the running campaign so like I they'd get to step in and play with that character sometimes because I'd actually step in and play that character sometimes. But most of the time he was just doing stuff in the background and kind of puppet mastering a little bit. And they wouldn't find that out until like towards the end. And that was kind of like my first homebrew. And it got to the point where when I was running one of my first fifth edition campaigns, I would look like I'm sitting there reading out of the book and I'm just making it up entirely off the top of my head as I look like I'm reading it out of the book. And like, I literally pulled the Bo Burnham and like put the book on top of my head and was like, I'm making this up. Why am I lying to you? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's just, I just keep it going. And like everything that I make up for that world from the fourth edition world carried over into my fifth edition version of the world. Mm -hmm. And it's all my version of the Forgotten Realms, and anytime a player would go, wouldn't it be cool if, I'd be like, yep, it would be cool if that, and that's part yeah. of the world now. And just, that is my homebrew, is I've just kind of 
tweaked everything I've ever come across. Yeah, I think that there's just kind of a for like new DMs that haven't experienced uh, homebrew, like I think that they you, they don't realize that they probably already have been homebrewing because, like you said, right? You wouldn't be cool if this happened instead. Okay, cool. I'm going to do that. You're homebrewing. Fantastic. Great job. Do more of it. Make your own story. Like that's a, that's that's kind of like like you can run a campaign and like that's fine if that if that's all you want to do if you want to run a, a published campaign that's great more power to you but i'll tell you that the seeing like an emotional impact from my players based on a story that i kind of created myself like i didn't there of course where there was inspiration based on narratives that i've kind of consumed over the years but like the the actual narrative was kind of something of my own having seeing an emotional impact that that left on your players is one of the best feelings that you'll get as a dm right it's very rewarding to be homebrewing and it's also very difficult to like as a new dm to kind of delve into that because you don't want to be like oh well what if i suck like you're, you're already doing it i promise you're already kind of taking what's the word uh, uh taking creative um freedom on the published model module, just do that. Just take that inspiration and run with it. If you run long enough, like let's just say you get, you know, your forgotten realms that, that is absolutely going to be a homebrew world. If you run it long yeah. enough, it's yeah. not going to be the same thing. You're not going to leave it unchanged. I mean, especially as your characters get to be, you know, above level 10. They yeah. are going to do some world-changing things, and it's not going to be the same. Yeah, the, the spine of the world may get flattened. What you gonna do about that? <laughs> the spine of the world had scoliosis. Right. Yeah, it's good. It was, a, it was a good thing. It was it healed the world. Healed it. That would be funny. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're aware. Like we're about to do uh, the podcast, and I'm about to either make a whole bunch of Dragonlance fans kind of apathetic about the whole thing, or uh, really upset. Like we're, I'm taking the whole Dragonlance series. I, I'm heavily inspired by that series. I mean, I'm just gonna fuck it up. It's fun. I like it. I have a great story in mind, and uh, I also really enjoyed that story. So, taking inspiration from that heavily, and also shenanigans afoot for uh, so that we can, you know, creative uh, freedom to have those shenanigans. Uh, my only goal in there is to make Kender not annoying again. Again? So this they weren't annoying before? Not to me. Oh, Kinder are great. <laughs> I love Kinder. They're just they're little chaos goblins, not goblins. Yeah, I guess in a in a fantasy setting, you have to be particular about goblins because they actually do exist. <laughs> Creatures of chaos. I think my biggest holdback on creating homebrew was mm. always I was afraid of balance and just making something mm. entirely broken, or something too hard for the players, or giving them an item that would just like make them way too powerful for anything I could throw at them. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that people need to realize in order to get over that particular barrier, if you're like me and that's a barrier for you, is that D&D &D is not a balanced game. It just isn't. True. It's one of the Life reasons CR doesn't work. Um, when you're trying to like create an encounter for your players, mm -hmm. if you just use straight CR, it's not going to work. You'll either create something that's way too easy or way too hard. Um, mm -hmm. Because D&D is not a balanced game. If you take two characters that were made 100% by the book, one of those characters is going to be more powerful than the other, significantly. Um, yeah. Any min-maxer will tell you that. 
it's it's not a balanced game so what you have to realize is you don't have to create anything balanced and because you created it you can always change it on the fly if you gave your players an item and that item takes out the dragon that you created on turn two then you just write a bigger hit point number on that dragon and keep playing it's one of those things where you can't treat it like it's sacred so i mean the whole thing about it is is like you can't be afraid to break the game because if you wrote it and you break it you can fix it and Mm -hmm. it's not as difficult as you might think to just change a number and fix it and just make it fun I would say, too, that if you... Because there are going to be times where your players are going to get upset when, like, let's just say they found a big loophole and they exploited the hell out of it and they break the game, quote-unquote. If they are a decent person, not just a decent player, if they're a decent person, they should be open to a conversation about, hey, you know, I didn't anticipate this and I kind of want to keep the game going. Is there any way we can work around this? Right. Yeah, I think, but on that note, like, it's it's kind of like, oh, you got this really cool toy, do you want to get it nerfed, right? Like, do you want it to get it taken away? Or, like, I usually what I would do is I would just nerf it a little bit, right? And they would be understandable, but, like, let them run with it. I, I've always tried to find a narrative hook to kind of find a ways around my mistakes. Cursed weapons are great for that. If it's If it's been some time, be like, so you realize that the moon is a full, I would like, a full moon. Like you to make a wisdom check, make it like a full moon. Like you know, have a have a later cadence so that they can have their fun with this item on the fly. I just like, all right, I'll take the L for that one. Yeah, oh yeah, on the fly, you don't have any other choice really. You you kind of have to let it happen. The conversations like what I was talking about happen after that session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In between game, you talk and you're like, okay, thank you for not destroying the world in this game with what you just <laughs> did. But, um, but yeah, no, and and not and I will say in all honesty, there are. There are varying degrees of DM skill. And sure. a lot of players are going to have to accept that the person running their game is not Matt Mercer or Brennan Lee Mulligan. Right. They're not. Right. And, and they have to be a little more accepting on when the DM makes a mistake. You know? Yeah. And I think that boils down to just like, remember that this is a game. Yes. And these yes. are humans. These, and humans are valuable. Like, it's okay. Yeah. Y- y'all are really just here to hang out and tell stories together and roll some dice. If your imaginary number goes down by one, <laughs> your everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Just exactly. have some fun. Maybe plan a little bit better on your attacks. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like overpowered items, I mean, I was the one that <clears throat> made the mistake of uh, giving my paladin a character, uh, giving my player's paladin a holy avenger uh early on and uh i i introduced the deck of many things literally sessions zero where they could have gotten it like i am terrible at giving them unbalanced items early on most people say like level 20 oh we're basically gods they were gods at 10 with the amount of items that they had mm-hmm. um but like it made it fun it made it enjoyable there were some moments where I was like, all right, how can I narratively get this away from them? And I was able to. Some of them I didn't, but I was like, they're enjoying it so much. Why not? Balance isn't always... Having it balance sometimes is just isn't... Oh, what's the word? I'm terrible with words today. Having a balance 
isn't necessarily the most important thing as long as you're having fun. Right. Exactly. And as long as you're having fun and everybody around you is having fun. Right. And and, and again, I think it comes, and I know we're just getting back into like, you know, old stuff, but it'll always boil down to both sides need to agree and understand that D and D is not a game of player versus DM. Right. Despite, despite what a lot of people think or how they play. Yeah. My games are usually DM versus players. What was the first uh, first encounter I gave you guys? Combat encounter was something like that almost wiped you guys out. Oh, the, the was it the, the plant bug, monster? The bug monster. The bug thing. monster. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. But in my defense, I was running a, a campaign for level twenty characters at that time, and I was no, I, I did not have a lot of recent experience on low level parties, so it was kind of a mistake. But then again, you guys made it out okay. <laughs> oh well, well, Rick. That the one game I was running for you guys, again, homebrew, right. I was like, oh, let's look at these CRs. They should be able to handle a couple ghosts. Mm-hmm. Ghosts? Anything ghost at low level is like, regardless of their CR, is like, eh, you're probably going to die. Or you could die. Oh, oh, I, I immediately nerfed these guys. Immediately oh, yeah. <laughs> nerfed them. I, because I maintained that. So the whole reason they, they were tough is because they literally age you, right? Mm-hmm. And how how much was it, Baron? It was, it, it could be ten years a scream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ten years. So I maintain that for like half of that party, it honestly would have been fine, because yeah. for elves, half elves, gnomes, anything that lives hundreds of years, like mm. ten years is nothing. However, there was like a tabaxi in the party, I believe. And if there's humans around, 10 years is going to be, like, huge. Um, So that's one of those cases where I think knowing your players and and has a lot Um, to do with how you balance that out. I should I should also point out that I did take away their damage or their damage resistance as well. Yeah. So you guys are nicer DMs than I am, because (laughs) my my philosophy was whatever the range of HP it has, like it always gives you the average and then it tells you how much it is, like what dice it is. Like, so if it's 10, 10 D, uh, 10 plus 20 or something like that, that D is a multiplier. It's 10 times 10 plus five, right? So it's, it's the max amount of HP, uh, that they could have. And then I'll just throw some other fun stuff on there. Uh, because like I said, my players were gods early on. Yeah. I had to, I had to strike fear in their hearts somehow. And if that meant, Make him beefier and give him some weird shit to play uh, to use against him. Let's go. Oh yeah, hey, that's homebrew, right? That's homebrewing a, a monster. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me take that back. So you're not so allowed. They don't have to scream. You just have to see them. Mm-hmm. And if you failed by five or more, you could age max forty years. Mm. I made it ten years for you guys. <laughs> Rice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to run um like low level i think like the the most fun is had between level one and ten because of just the sheer amount of things that you guys could that's that's a a challenge for those level players right i'll i'll throw a caveat on there for my own personal opinion and say it's three to ten three to ten i think i think one to three is a tutorial yeah yeah yeah. like like for people who've never played D &D before they've Mm -hmm. only played a little bit i honestly believe level one to three is a tutorial it's yeah. why most 
pre-written campaigns, the actual campaign starts at level three. And like sometimes they'll give you a little pre-adventure to take the characters from level one to level three if they're starting at level one. But in my personal opinion, if you are starting a campaign and you have players who've played D&D who are proficient at D&D, you shouldn't be starting any lower than three. Yeah, my my thing was start them at level two for the prologue for session zero and then mm-hmm. level them up afterwards. So like like for the previous recording, we, we did that for a few episodes just so they can get kind of familiar with their characters, familiar with their other party characters. And then I could add a narrative note on to um, what that level three looks like because that's whenever you get all the cool shit, right? Sure. Um, so like, you know, the Fae Wanderer, you got the like the horns and uh, uh, the vining horns and shit. And, mm-hmm. you know, warlocks get their pack so I can add a narrative note in there and kind of tie it all together with the uh, what uh, what I call the knives of the story, right? The player knives or the character knives, rather. So, yeah, it's uh, um, I've always liked to do as a start level two so that way we can kind of get familiar but if you're like like i'm going back to uh dming for my previous party same people here soon like they would start at three because we're already familiar with all of their like them as players and their play style and such so it makes sense right yeah i think going back to my my published campaign i think that homebrew is probably going to be i mean as a as a majority of this the narrative would be the the main driving force of uh, my DMing just because like, well, for one, most of my uh, DMing is now going to be on a podcast. It's going to be published. Right. So like it's, I want to be able to have the ability to uh, twerk it a little bit. Not, <laughs> nope. Not twerk. Tweak, <laughs> tweak a little bit. Also twerk it. It is an audio. So it's everybody else's kind of imagination there. Right. So, sure. but like you're not bogged down to the lore that is already kind of set in stone. Like you can pull from it, but you, you can be inspired by it, but you're not compelled to adhere to it. Right. And whenever you're putting your content out like that, you know, there's always those people that are going to be, well, actually, uh, dot, dot, dot. So homebrewing, even the published, uh, the more like published story settings allows you a lot more freedom in that, in that vein. Yeah. Cause nobody can, um, actually your story. You're they like, can, but I just have the fuck you. This is my, uh, and this is why. Right. Yeah. It's like, it, um, actually, this is how it goes. And you're like, no, because this is my story, and it goes how I say it goes. Yeah. If you uh, if you refer back to the literally episode one, you'll understand why I can. And also, <laughs> fuck you. This is my my show. <laughs> so what you didn't know was there was something brewing in this world the whole time. And it's like, really? Where was that wrote down? Right. Here. In in my mind, brain. Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> bitches um (laughs) have you i have a question have any of you ever ran a homebrew game or just had a really good time in a published uh, setting that you were inspired to write a narrative regardless if you if you wrote it or not like you know that whole like i can write a book out of this or i can tell stories out of this or something like that and if not looking back on it now what would be that book like what would be that campaign so weirdly enough, mm-hmm. I have two instances. I'm going to pull the Caster's Guild uh, privilege of answering your one time with a couple times. Weirdly enough, and I'm going to count this as a game set in a, an established world. Specifically Run, but it was a video game. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. But it, it, was, uh, it was Neverwinter. 
And uh -huh. um, I had my nephew make a character, and you know, we we sat there and we talked about the character. We built up this whole story behind her, and it was like it was amazing. We we put a lot of this thought into this one character, and um, I, she's sitting in my notes right now with like a fully fleshed out background. <laughs> And like it was like uh, you know what I kind of want to write I want to write a whole book about this person right. yeah um it was she's a paladin of Sune nice and it was like I mean come on and it, it was great and I would love to the, do that. the the Sune is the the hot god right is that goddess, or is of, that... The goddess of beauty yes. yeah yeah the uh, um, goddess of beauty and milfs everywhere yep and it's like the whole the whole thing was. You know her, her, the clerics, the the clerics of the uh, of the of the priesthood and stuff like that would always tell her is like, oh, you could go far in this priesthood if you were just a little more attractive, kind of deal. But she just doesn't, you know, put on makeup or do her hair like all these other people do. She's just like as beautiful as she is, like a eighteen charisma, as beautiful and likable as she is. She just doesn't put forth the effort that they do. She actually goes out, boots on the ground, helps people, you know, spreads the love of Sune and all this stuff. She does the work that Sune wants her to do. She's she's got the Joan of Arc bad bitch energy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I like so, it. So yeah, it was really cool. And then then the other one was a homebrew that I didn't play, but I had a direct hand in. Mm -hmm. Um it was my friend was running it, but he gave each of the players a hand in creating their corner of the world, essentially their corner of the world. We were all part of this city, but mm -hmm. we we're all like children of nobles. Okay. Children, children of the leaders of our respective peoples. Okay. And um, like, uh, Eberron's houses kind of thing. Kind of. Yeah. 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 But then come to find out my guy was actually the son of a mayor of a halfling nation because mm -hmm. you know mayor they the halflings have different names for their people and like their their head guy is a mayor and stuff like that so anyways they ended up losing their home and taking refuge in the human city for like generations yeah. and they kept their titles and to them they equated to human nobility even though it didn't before kind right. of deal so you know the mayor is like, oh, you know, I'm noble of the halflings. We call it, you know, mayors. Meanwhile, everybody else is laughing at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because and like, you know, wardens were actually halflings that would go out on the countryside and protect the countryside. And um, and my character's family came from a family of dog breeders and stuff like that. So they mm. gave. So the humans were kind and gracious to bestow the noble title of warden upon my character, but really they wanted him to go around and catch dogs. Like yeah, stray yeah, yeah. dogs and stuff like that. But the stray dogs that he captured ended up becoming like strong war dogs and strong So anyways, he ended up becoming a paladin. Man, I have a thing for paladins. <laughs> so anyways, he ended up becoming a paladin, finding a new homeland for his people, rediscovering the gods of his people mm -hmm. and like establishing an entire halfling nation. So that's yeah, pretty that cool. That was fun, and I would love to write a story of everything leading up to that. Yeah. So I think for me, like, my my most recent campaign with the gods, right, 
would be great, but like not in the element of the traditional high fantasy or um, like serious narratives kind of thing, like that you see with uh, uh, like The Witcher and uh, what is it, uh, uh, you know, Dragonlance and Lord of the Rings and such, but more on that vein of what was Critical Role did with uh, Legend of Vox Machina of just slap, like slapdick comedy and not much thought into battle tactics because that's what that was essentially our campaign is how can we do this in a way that for one pisses off the dm and for two is hysterical i think for, for a while there they like, like around level 10 and such they they carried around a, a white dragon dick and used that for a lot of ridiculous things somehow they ended up i think they they burnt down an inn with and I think the catalyst was a white dragon dick. But yeah, like very yeah, it doesn't make sense. I don't remember how it, I just remember the beginning and the end and that's it. But I think that that would be a really great story to tell with narrative freedom for the weird parts, but that would be yeah, like, I think that would be the uh the one I would choose. Uh me personally, any game I've ever DM'd, I think I would if I were to write a story, it, I don't think any of them would be like a novel or a complete narrative. I think it would be series of short stories. Like yeah. it'd be like the story of this character and, you know, like the tale of Sir Galahad. Yeah. And then like they would intersect with each other, of course, because they're all members of a party. But the way I tend to take these pre-written campaigns and I homebrew them on my own is each character gets like a, a section in the spotlight. Like I, one of the things I always ask for for my characters during a session zero is like a wish list. And on the wish list isn't just like items and things that they want, but like maybe something they want to get done by the, the end of the campaign. For example, in my most recent campaign, my wife had made a, uh, a lizard folk, uh, rogue and she's like okay i want him to have a clutch of eggs before this is done like i want him to be a dad i want him to like have a family and so at some point in time in that campaign i write in you know a story where he meets someone he can have a clutch of eggs with and like you know maybe they you know they fall in love or like they do their whole thing and like that would be one of the stories or and I wish more players were willing to do that. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know where you got that, and it's okay. Like, I, I feel like that may be something you got from me. It's okay that you, if you didn't, though. Because I think I did that a lot. Like, tried to get people to be like, you know, hey, give me a list of things that you want. You know, <laughs> give me your favorite colors. What do you like to use tools-wise? You know, just... Give me something, and I'm going to make this work for you, for us. And they're like, I'll take whatever. <laughs> you guys make me feel like a, a a mean DM because I do the opposite. I say, oh, no. how, like those knives I was talking about uh, earlier, I, I make my players come up with knives, which is things that I could use to stab them with during the, the campaign. Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that I will use them, but at some point, I need to know some... Uh, some things about your past mm -hmm. that might come up, right? Oh well, I, I get. Never, I've never done wish lists. <laughs> I get backstories done... for my characters. Let me let, let me like show you where I I twist the knife as a DM. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. get backstories from my characters. Okay. 
and I they get their wish list, okay? And like I might pick a few things for their wish list, and those will be the high points, okay? Everything else in their backstory, like if in their backstory they have, you know, someone they care about or someone they um or their parents are still alive or there's something like that. If alive parents aren't on their wish list, that's fair game. Yeah, um yeah. Or, like, I will give them something to care about and then take it away. I can say this now because my most recent campaign, I actually ended up having to cancel it. So, like, this is a storyline that will not play out. Yeah, I was about to do the same while when we were done about the, the, the previous recording, but but go ahead. One of my players is a paladin of Kelimvor, the god of death. Um, mm-hmm. And she's, uh, no, a cleric, not paladin, cleric. So she's a grave cleric. And the whole reason she serves the God of Death is that her, the love of her life, like in her backstory, died in service to the king. And she was going to throw herself off of a cliff because she couldn't have him anymore. So the God of Death reached out to her and said, no, it's not your time. Serve me until it is. And that's how she became a grave cleric. Yeah. So... In the campaign, all of a sudden, the person she lost was alive again. And she had no idea how, but he showed up. And, like, they start having a relationship again. And I was going to turn him into one of the big bads. Like, literally, he was going to stab her in the back. Like, he was going to get something from her. And, like, the fact that the bad guys were about to take over the world was going to be entirely her fault. Because she trusted him and he was going to stab her in the back and it was going to be a whole thing. So, I mean, if you give me something in your backstory and it's not on your wish list of something you want as a high point, I will take it from you or turn it into something terrible. I like that. I think that I might start implementing something like that where I need to know your knives, but your wish list will kind of be a buffer uh, or like a way for you to be like, hey, hey, don't do this, though. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly so since the um where we kind of did a soft reset on uh the podcast one of the early story arcs was going to be so we had uh two characters one was uh fard the bard and one was uh bookish the goblin and bookish was uh left his tribe because he he would basically he was like you guys are crazy i'm leaving and he went off to he he was what was the the god of knowledge Uh, i can't remember off the top of my head but but it was a specific clan and uh, fard came from a kind of podunk town where she had aspirations of aspirations aspirations of kind of like fame and fortune and going out and exploring new lands and uh learning new things and discovering new things and she had her mom and her sister and her sister's uh, husband, like all still there and that she would write story letters and such. Well, the, the idea was to have the, the letter stop abruptly. And then once they decided to go investigate, not hearing from her uh, sister anymore, find out that the goblin tribe of bookish actually went through and, massacred the city and just i was i was so ready to just look at this and be like i can't wait to see the perhaps tension between the two but definitely like the kind of only like almost guilty feeling from bookish and then just the complete breakdown of bar uh, fard 
Ah, oh, man, I really wish that would have happened. I was sitting there waiting. You guys were going to go and fight with some werewolves, and then after that, I was it was time to kill some families. I, I like your wording of that now. Fight with werewolves. Yes, yes. It was originally the idea was to fight werewolves, but hey, hey, that's D and D, baby. <laughs> the little eco terrorist in your in your group decided that may not be great. <laughs> I fucking loved it. Like the whole theme of that game was supposed to be. It was inspired by Princess Mononoke, and to get like, essentially, I was hoping that you guys were going to become eco terrorists. Um, <laughs> You just decided to do it a lot quicker than what I expected. <laughs> Chapter one. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Yep. <laughs> but to go back to, to answering the question, I think, yeah, like every game I've ever DM'd, I think I would just have a series of short stories based on those characters that would all take place in the world. But every character I've ever gotten to play, I have fallen in love with and would write a book about that character immediately. I think my my biggest one would be the one I've already talked about several times on this podcast. I talked about it at the beginning of this episode, and that would be the character I got to play in my fourth edition game and kind of became the puppet master and like the background for that entire thing. And he has been an NPC in every game I've ever run since. He actually made it into one of your towns, Anthony, when you were doing a stream and you were like, Hey, I need a character to run this shop. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, well, here's Nemorian Pac. He's a gem merchant. Um, <laughs> and that's how he's always started. He's just been a humble gem merchant. And then I loved those, those streams, the build a blank streams. Those were a lot of fun. Yeah. I probably should start those again, <laughs> but yeah, every, was, every was character, this, uh... Is this Demorian? He's essentially like the Fizban, but not with Godhood, right? Of uh, your setting. Uh, I guess it would be more of a question for Baron. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the that setting, the Dragonlance setting. I'm not co in, entirely familiar with Dragonlance, but I will tell you, Demorian Pak is a demigod now. Oh, um, okay. He's he's the demigod of time mm -hmm. because he's been forced across the time stream many, many times to the point where he started to learn how to manipulate it and control There's it. And like Siri from uh, uh, The Witcher being like at first it was just like face planning and through time. But now, like, you know, she can just do it whenever she wants. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. So, yeah, he's he's probably he'd probably be the character who I would actually like write a book about first if I were to ever to write a narrative or a book that and it's the most homebrew thing I've ever done. Yeah. As far as his story goes, I created a demigod. I created an entire mm -hmm. I mean, he started a guild before he became a demigod, and now that guild is an entire faction within mm -hmm. Faerun in my world. Like, so you have like the Harpers, you have the Zentarum, and you have Nemorian Pox Adventurers Guild. Like, he is <laughs> a faction. So it's it would be the the biggest thing, I think. Yeah, I've faction Holmberg factions has been something that I tried to delve in, and I really tried to lead my players into following the kind of side questy storyline to do that and i fleshed out like a whole like whole ass thing about it. it took me like a month and a half to finish and they literally got the letter and they're like nah threw it away <laughs> <laughs> like you son of a bitch <laughs> like, it's fine like i could use it later but like <laughs> damn it you gotta do a better job of baiting that hook uh, <laughs> i try like i it. I, you know, whenever you're basically gods and have, uh, you know, the Swiss bank of funds, it's kind of hard. Yeah. 
I think that's where the wish list comes in. Like yeah, it's yeah. like it's smart, it, yeah. when you know exactly what the characters want. Like uh, one of the ways I got one of my earlier characters to join that Nemorian Pox faction is uh, she was a Circle of the Moon druid, and she just wanted to be able to see as many animals as she could. That way, she could turn into them. Because like I was going hard on that rule, where in order to turn into it, you have to have seen it. Um, is that actually a rule? I didn't. I didn't actually know that. It is. I mean, not many people enforce it. I mean, but it is a rule. You have to have seen that animal. And then when it comes to druids, a lot of them. I mean, it's really easy to write into your backstory that you've seen an animal. But in her See, backstory, I, she was sheltered, so she hadn't seen any. I still think that 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 rule is awfully uh, generous. I I think that the druid should take time studying the animal. Right. Yeah. I but, think. I mean. Does it does it count if you like you have a picture book of a animal? That nope. DM discretion, I think. No, well, oh. I guess I'd I'd ask you both of you what you would. I mean, obviously we know like if it was a the the Encyclopedia Britannica of this specific animal, would you allow it? This is my ruling. Uh huh. I think that let's just say a a a druid had access to say a picture book or mm-hmm. some kind of book of knowledge on an animal. Mm-hmm. Yes. You could transform yourself into exactly what you see, <laughs> but it's anybody. Be not quite that exact, but okay. I mean, like, but like anybody watching it that would have any kind of knowledge of, um, like how that animal is would mm-hmm. be able to watch and be like, oh, that animal's moving weird. Yeah, I guess if you were trying to disguise yourself as that animal, you'd take like a disadvantage. Like you would right. do a literal Checks. translation of that animal, yeah. but like there are going to be like some nuances. It'd be like one of those things where, like you know, you see you see a deer on the side of the road that's just kind of like staring at you the wrong way, mm-hmm. and you see its shoulders move just a little <laughs> awkwardly mm-hmm. as it kind of shuffles towards you, and it's like, oh, that's it not right, walk right? Yeah. That's not mm-hmm. right. And the Drew was like, oh, that's just how I imagine they moved. Oh, I don't. <laughs> it, it makes a, it makes a, like a goat noise. It's like, <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think that, uh, a lot of those, those knowledge books about like, uh, the knowledge books, Jesus, mm-hmm. it's been a week. Um, those like, uh, books about these specific animals really go into the sounds they make because it's kind of weird to describe that in text. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it would all. Do, I mean, like we, it, it's it's a world of magic, right? So I mean, I guess mm-hmm. if you had a book that like literally the pages were enchanted to where you could mm-hmm. see the animal move, and then like you could you know turn the page right and it would make the animals noise when you turn the page, or like you know because magic, right? I it's want all that. Possible. I want. Yeah. What was, those I, old, what was those old uh, uh, magazines we used to get about animals? And, zoo books. And, yeah, I want zoo books, but like <laughs> make it arcane. Yeah. Now I want. Now I want a druid slash sorcerer that travels the world studying animals and like makes these picture books. I think that'd be a druid artificer sub uh, uh, multi class. I mean, that's on yeah. you. Whatever yeah, yeah, you yeah, want to yeah. do. It's not my. That's not my thought though. <laughs> He's making magic. Well, you know what? You know what? Fuck it. No, it'd even be wizard specifically, not sorcerer. Yeah, because if anybody knows their way around a magic book, yeah. The what was the name of the the character that you thought was Fizban? Uh, and, uh, I can't remember, but it's very close. Actually, now that you bring was, him up, it was something like Fizbitch, though. Like that was his last name. Yeah, Leo, oh yeah, yeah. Leo, it was close. Like something like Leonidas Fizbitch or something, 
and his he was basically the uh, uh, inspired by um, a really like kind of what's the word? Uh, he, he was like this this really like you know the 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 the, the, the Chimera guy from um, Full Metal Alchemist. He like put his daughter and the dog together, and like you know magic happened. It was kind of like that, but make him less problematic, but not not problematic. Um, <laughs> and he always talked like this, and he fucking cussed all the time and he's just like this weird deranged crazy person but also backstory for that guy his whole family was inspired by Encanto if you guys would have went to the outlying city of Baldur's Gate to find out they were essentially a whole bunch of sorcerers that were in charge of a town and he was just like you guys are fucking crazy you got like <laughs> mental health issues you gotta get your family together I'm going to fucking Baldur's Gate to make something of myself you know but yeah that that was a, a little I guess homebrewy family uh, storyline that was inspired by Encanto. Nice, but to uh, to finish the story. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, oh shit! I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, like that's this podcast in general. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So that druid really wanted to see more animals to be able to turn into, and from the fourth edition campaign I used to run, there was a character who joined that faction who was a ranger, and like her whole deal was she wanted to basically start an animal reserve so on the grounds of the guild hall there was that character's animal reserve so i was like yeah you want to see more animals we have an entire menagerie come check it out and she got to come and hang out and check out all the animals and like add a bunch of animals to like her list of animals that she could turn into and so it's all just about you know knowing how to bait that hook so Maybe that's something I need to work on is is finding better hooks, right? No, no, no. I think, I think that, your like, hooks are great. You need better bait. <laughs> I have good hooks. Very sharp, curved hooks. Mm -hmm. Your bait is shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think... I mean, that being said, like, I can't remember. I think it was at the end of a session, and everybody was, like, really fucking drunk at that point. Like, our home games are get kind of sloppy around the, uh, the third... Second to third hour. <laughs> sure. But anyway... This is the homebrew episode. So before we get too much into just telling stories about our previous characters and campaigns, <laughs> assuming we have a listener out there who's thinking about starting their first homebrew, where would you recommend that they start? I think if they want to start their own homebrew, where should they start? Think about if you're a reader, what is the book that kind of like really inspire, like what is like really draws you, right? But if you weren't a reader until, well, recently like me, I used to read in school though, like when I was younger, what was kind of like the draw for that, right? Like what was your, what was your childhood inspiration for imagination and just pull from that. If you're looking for ways to develop a, a plot, which is something that I struggle with a lot. I think a lot of that is just due to like the, uh, uh, the imposter syndrome and such like that, which is why I do try to do more uh, published settings, but my own story is, you know, like uh, it using your yeah using your imagination from like either childhood or uh, what really kind of pulls you in narratively. But like, there's a ton, especially nowadays, that they can pull from that are actual D and D content. It's actually D and D content in any medium you can think of. Stories on Reddit, literal D and D books, uh, narrative books like stories, uh, not just campaign settings. Uh, you could pull from if you like silly shit. Go listen to Brennan Lee Mulligan for like a minute and a half. You'll be hooked. If you like 
a little bit in between of serious and uh, um, silly shit. Matt Mercer and the Critical Role are great. Uh, if you, I mean, you can always Adventure Zone has been kind of a, a guilty pleasure of mine right now. Uh, but there's plenty of inspiration to go. Just go and consume content that you're not going to you're you're not going to be confident within something unless you're actually consuming content. So the world is your oyster, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I I think that you generally just said what I was going to say. Oh, I yes. I will I I will be more shameless, however, and assume <laughs> that none of you are actually none of you listening are going to be you know, online and trying to make money off of this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to be a published, televised mm -hmm. um, uh, D&D GM. Blatantly steal your shit. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're just getting started. If you're just yeah. getting started, your best start is blatantly stealing it. You know, you watch... Your favorite TV shows, watch your favorite, and, and this goes for, you know, anything. You know, if you're running a White Wolf game, why don't you watch a couple seasons of Supernatural and go to town? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? If you are wanting to run a D&D &D game, watch Lord of the Rings, figure out how, mm -hmm. you know, this is how you want your dwarves to be. Maybe the Mines of Moria will be right there in your game. Just don't Does expect the players to act like the... Uh the fellowship because they won't no they won't not at all but i mean if you if you need ideas just i mean you can get inspiration if you are just wanting to blatantly rip some stuff off i mean i was when i first started homebrewing i kind of fell into the whole oh you know what i'm just gonna pull from this i'm gonna pull from this mm -hmm. and then the imposter syndrome started hitting in later on in life where it was like i should be a better dm than this this should all be coming from my head I need to be blatantly, you know, just making all new stuff. And then older me realized there really isn't any new stuff. Everything yeah, comes yeah, I was going to say, like, everything <laughs> is done. It's just in different words. But the story, the plot, you are not going to find an original story. Somebody has already done it. Yep. What, so, is, the, what is the South Park thing? Uh, uh, Simpsons did it? Yep. Yep. So, like, a lot of my stuff lately has been coming from anime uh, especially like fantasy anime, Beastmen are like my favorite thing to put in the game because mm -hmm. it's like, you want to be a Beastman? Cool. What kind? Like, you want to be a dog person? You want to be a cat person? You want to be a bird person? We can figure all this out. There's probably already stats for these things. We can figure this yeah. out. We can go to town. We can have a good time. Um, I think the, the biggest inspiration for me lately has been I recently watched Arcane mm -hmm. on Netflix. And now all I want to do is run a fantasy slash steampunk slash magic area. That shit inspired me so much. I was like, fuck, I got to run this style of game. I got to run this story. Mm -hmm. That let might me, be... Let me know when that's starting up. I'm, I'm going to sign up immediately. <laughs> What's that? Let me know oh, when, when that's starting up. I'll, 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 you I'll know. sign yeah, up immediately. Yeah. 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 The political um, intrigue in that cartoon alone, too, is inspiration. Oh, it is so good. And like the... The the animation on it, the way they how they captured the the emotional responses oh, yeah. was oh, probably man. my favorite part. Watching like uh, Jinx, yeah, Jinx kind of have these emotional breakdowns, like this mental kind of trauma throughout her uh, the early part of that season was just captured so well in the animation. I was like, how? Like I don't understand how they did this, and I want more. But yeah, like find 
I guess to kind of circle back to the conversation, find something that gives you that kind of emotional response and just fucking run with it. Yeah, and, and you know what? And honestly, most of the time, I'll tell you this. Most of the times, if you're watching something, mm -hmm. reading something, and it gives you that kind of emotional response and you put it in a game, it's going to give you the times, buy too. Well, most of your times, your players aren't even going to notice it. Sure. When they do notice it, though, and it's something that they're familiar with, I guarantee you that when they first saw it, they thought it mm -hmm. was cool. And when you do it, and you're paying homage to it, mm -hmm. they're going to notice it and be like, that was fucking cool. I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh I, knew what, I knew what this was. And let them have it. When, when they're like, I know where this is from, just wink at them. That's all yeah. you got to do. Give them yeah. a little wink. Mm-hmm. To steal, steal everything, and then lie about the 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 intent. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, why is it that every time I'm on the show, we talk about stealing and lying about uh, our way through DMing? Because that's because DMing. that's what DMing okay, yeah, is. Yeah. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. Like those people. Okay, look, I get it. There are people out there that are like, do it by the book. We're gonna sure. do it by the book. And it's like, okay, fine. It's a game. <laughs> That's why you're doing it like that. Sure. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It's also other things besides just a game. Yeah. You should be able to cook the books a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You should be able to flub a roll every once in a, once in a while. I guarantee you that my players flub roll sometimes. And you know what? Sure. As long as it makes the as long as it makes the story cool and it's not yeah. someone just trying to be a badass, quote unquote, mm -hmm. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. There's a reason why on the podcast I let you guys roll dice because I want you guys to be able to have like tell a great story for yourself. Yeah. And I think that if you rolled something, if you rolled like shit on something that would have been like way fucking better for the story, I trust you guys to make that decision. Obviously, right. don't like abuse don't do that. it to a fault. Yeah, yeah don't right. abuse it. But I don't. I like everybody in our crew. I don't think would. Yeah, like, like don't don't. In the big fight, don't crit five times. Never ever yeah, miss. Yeah. And then when it comes down to like a lore roll that has nothing to do with you, yeah. don't, don't choose that time to fail. Right. That's not good. That's not good. I have always been one of the most by the book guys there is, as far as my DMing style, my playing style, everything like that. Because I'm one of the people who uh, believes that you know the rules a lot of the times are what make a game fun. Um, if a game has no rules or no anything to it, I mean, like it, I don't, I don't find that fun. But at the same time, I also realized uh, a while ago that the reason rules make a game fun is because it's a balanced game, and like those balanced game, or you need the rules in order to keep that balance. Dungeons and Dragons, like I said before, right. is not a balanced yeah. game. Sticking yeah. to the letter of the rules for everything is not the way to keep that game fun as possible because then everything's entirely unbalanced and it's not as fun. Right. So I, sometimes you have to lie and make stuff up yeah. in order to balance out and make it fun. I find myself like in between on that because like a lot of times I'll be like, fuck it. That'd be really cool. Let's go. But then I'll like, I'll find myself getting kind of, I wouldn't say rules lawyery, but like a little bit more stringent on certain rules that like, looking back on the things I do and don't does not fucking make sense. Cause like, like I'll sit here and somebody will be like, Oh man, I only have like five feet and I'll, I can get this guy. I'm like, I ah, fucking take it, whatever, you know, which is a combat like tactic, right? It, it, it should make sense that you don't get that five feet. But then like for things like uh, the, the Druid thing, I could see myself really harping down on 
the uh, the having to see. In fact, like you know, uh, spending time. I like that a lot, actually. And it just does not make sense. But like, I'll find the things that I do and don't harp on, and like really get stringent to on rules. So weird looking back on it now, as far as my career as a DND or a DM. It all comes down to what makes it fun, right? Uh, yeah. But to go back, the advice that you're giving for first time homebrew is to look to fiction and you know in not so flattering words steal from it right there we go Which, i was about to say he's making it sound so pretty i yeah, think like no no <laughs> find something that gives you that emotional response because if you get that emotional response you'll have your own buy-in to be inspired to create a great story whether you know it or not and but I, I think that's great everything i think that's great because as a DM, when I have players creating their first characters, if they're having trouble putting the character together, one of the first things I'll recommend is who do you want to be? Pick somebody right. from fiction. What story do you like? Pick a hero. Pick a character. Pick whoever. Who do you want to be? And let's try to build that. Yep. Right? So we're essentially giving the exact same advice. So and a piece of advice I'd like to give is if you're a dungeon master and you've given advice to one of your players on how to build a better backstory, how to build a better character, take that same advice, twist a little bit, that's how to build your better homebrew. Yep. But no matter what, you're going to need some dice. And if you need some dice, why not check out our affiliate Geeky Clean, who are proud to present their monthly Dice Bomb subscription box, the ultimate Dice Goblin enabling service. If you sign up right now, the first Dice Bomb you will receive will be June's Vanilla Cake Scented Bath Bomb with Rainbow Pearls Dice inside. And then each month, you will receive a carefully curated Dice Bomb complete with a set of premium resin dice for your TTRP collection. Get 10% off with our link in the description, or you can use our get discount code, Guild Decree. Transitions are so smooth. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that that pre-recorded segment, I bet, fits perfectly into this yeah so good <laughs> i can't wait to hear it in post yeah rick. okay <laughs> yeah. post like off i'm editing cuff. that in off the cuff make me a homebrew magic item inspired by geeky clean bath and body go all right let's see so it's a bath bomb right so i'm immediately thinking i'm immediately <laughs> thinking that it's a ritual item right so okay i like um, it yeah it's also going to be consumable much like a spell scroll because it's a bath bomb mm -hmm. so yeah um however i do think it'd be cool if you have one magic item that kind of turns into another so with geeky clean bath bombs you use the bath bomb and then you get a set of dice mm -hmm. so it could be cool if you have okay you use it during a long rest if you use it during the long rest then the next day you get an advantage on any charisma checks, any skill charisma based skill checks because you smell good. That's that's smart, yeah. And then you also get an item that lets you use the lucky feet once per day. And that's your dice. I like that. I'm gonna take something from that and twist it a little bit. Same thing. I'm gonna change it to a short rest because ain't nobody taking a bath for eight hours. Um, <laughs> and if you do, there you have a different problem. You're you're just a giant prune at that point, but I've been um work I've been really into like fate and uh, uh narratively like fate and uh, timelines and all this other things because I'm trying to figure out how the fuck to tell this story on the podcast. But I'm gonna say short rest. You roll a d. 
seven? Is that how many fucking dice come in a set? Right? Seven sets? Seven dice? Yes. Uh, so and just, just roll every dice. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, whatever, which on the table, you roll, I guess they roll a d6, right? Because one of them, uh, I think two of them are this d10. Mm-hmm. Um, based on that is the dice you get to add to one ability check or anything for that day. Nice. And also the charisma check, because that actually is really great. You do smell awesome. <laughs> I actually do that. I think that's a fucking bath bomb D and D item. Let's fucking go. I like the I, I like the idea because like with a ritual, you need ritual items and stuff like that. I like mm-hmm. the idea of condensing a doesn't even matter what it is. You condense a ritual into one little thing, and it's essentially a bath bomb. Mm-hmm. And and to use this, you essentially just get in a warm bath. You drop it in there. Instant ritual. Yeah, it's like a spell scroll, except it's specifically for ritual spells. It's a consumable ritual. I like the idea of it was the item of wondrous power, like the 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 dog, the mastiff, and um, there's there's a whole bunch of them, like the the lion. You can get you basically speak a magic word, mm-hmm. but they're just bath bombs, and they're like those like uh, shrinky dinks that you uh, the dinosaurs <laughs> that they just kind of expand uh, as it dissolves and turns right. into the, the fucking thing. I actually have I actually have a, a world that is essentially a post-apocalyptic world that has become a fantasy world. Yeah. I may actually put that in my game. I might put it in our game. Like that's like th- these are the kind of <laughs> shenanigans that I hope to realize during these recordings. And see that's this is what I'm talking about. If you're listening and you're you're thinking about your first homebrew, like I literally came up with that item off the cuff because I was challenged to and like yeah. Obviously, that item can be workshopped a little bit, right? You, yeah, you literally think about just it. Was. Yeah, yeah, literally. You, <laughs> you think about it for more than five minutes. You think about some of the things that, like, some of the ways your players might use it that you maybe not originally intended, and like maybe you make up some other things for it, and you play test it. I mean, and the only way you play test it is give it to your players and see what they do, and like. Yeah write it down in your notes and maybe change it a little bit over time. The next campaign, you give them the same item, just change it a little bit. I found that like workshopping and bouncing ideas off of other nerdy friends has been the best uh, way to kind of flesh out these things. In fact, I'm stealing Baron for a narrative session as soon uh, before we start the podcast. Same with a few of my friends for some narrative workshops for the podcast. It's just been a, but like being like, all right, here's my idea. And they're like, cool, I like that. Ooh, what if this? What if that? What if this? And you just kind of come up with this amazing story. Having that person to bounce ideas off of is probably the best way to kind of gain that confidence within what you're trying to do. Yep. I have literally done that with Baron and a couple other DM friends of mine uh, a few times when creating things. I really like giving my players physical things. Like, I like handing them a box and like it's like oh what's this yeah. box and like you showed so, me that, that lock box that you had or something like that yeah and that box. that lock box was a collaborative creation between myself baron another dm i know um actually i'll just say it it's his name's ryan he's been on the cast plenty of times so like one of the things baron helped me come up with is uh, a figurine of wondrous power as a matter of fact where i had yeah, that's, a that's tiny what, that's little the word i was looking for <laughs> yeah I had a tiny little uh, koala beanie baby that was maybe two inches tall. And so I threw it in and I took a large mini base and glued it on the bottom. And that way it was a large mini as well for actual use in the game. So it was a figurine 
and when the players would throw it and use the command word, they could actually put it on the map because it came to life, right? And I actually made it a teddy bear. So uh, with Baron's help, I wrote up stats for a cloth golem. That's um, awesome. <laughs> and it could literally hug you and start to smother you. Like you would literally have to make endurance checks because like it was like cutting off your air supply as it smothered you with its cloth body. I like the idea of something like that, but the reverse, right? It's basically your healer and just goes around and hugs you as an action to kind of give you a whatever amount of health back or whatever, uh, removing any kind of adverse effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, healing touch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man, I'm getting a lot of like ideas from this episode that I did not expect to, and it's really awesome. That's that's Caster's Guild for you, man. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so you've been you've been doing the home homebrew thing, like you've been doing build the blanks and stuff like that. Are there any tools that you use that you'd recommend to any of our cool. listeners? Yeah, it's a good. That's a, I wanted to bring this up. So like, I also I build terrain, uh, like three dimensional high detail terrain for like that you see in dioramas. But instead of, I mean, I do dioramas too, but. Uh, a lot of times I use it in place of battle maps, kind of like what Dwarven Forge does, but uh, I use XPS foam, which is like pink insulation foam that you have in your walls, and a whole bunch of like other just random things that you collect that you find is really good for crafting. And I find that whenever I'm crafting that, I, f- I am inspired by like what I'm doing. Like, oh man, like this, this kind of looks like XYZ. It would be really be cool if this, and just kind of let that thought process go. Um, as far as digital tools, the main thing I've used is Google Sheets, and I don't recommend that to anybody because I know it works for me because I have <laughs> I'm I'm attention deficit. I'm pretty sure I'm a little bit more autistic than uh, just ADHD, but it works for me. But the whole Google Workspace suite is free and it's at your disposal. Use it for. There's a lot of D and D tools that you can use to kind of get inspired. Fantasy Name Generator has always been really good for creating names for characters that I want to build that I just, I'm not good at naming people, right? You can only have so many Boblin the Goblins um, before. (laughs) Xanathar's Guide has been a a lifesaver for me when they literally gave us like, they gave us 10 pages of names. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, look up, oh, Elvin, male, uh, first name, last name. Yep. And... Um, what's the, I cannot remember the, the map making, uh, software. I haven't used it in a while, but I got it from, uh, the humble bundle, uh, for super, super cheap. It was, it was, it was some sort of map making tool. I cannot remember off the top of my head what it's called because oh, there's a couple different ones that you can be using. Oh, uh, wonder draft. It is a paid thing, but you can, I, I still think it's fairly cheap and it's, I think it's only like a one-time payment. So if you have like an extra X amount of dollars, Go use it because, like, you can start just kind of fiddling around with maps. It can be world maps, it can be battle maps. And I mean, this is a digital era, so like, everybody's using, you know, Roll20 and mm-hmm. um, using Discord and everything. So, like, use these tools to your advantage, right? You're going to get inspired by so many different things that you don't realize you get inspired by. Like, I used videos and podcasts and uh, books and narratives and such like that as kind of the, the prime example because it that's more or less the main thing you're going to have that emotional response. But like, like I was saying, like I get inspired by just building terrain or making maps or making a D and D player character on D and D beyond, you know, like just immerse yourself in so many different facets of what this means, like what is kind of 
more or less in the the, the Venn diagram of Dungeons and Dragons, you're going to find inspiration from something. To circle back though, like what's that one? There's one tool, online tool that I use a lot. I think it's like Donjon or something like that. It has a ton of different elements of D and D related generators. Basically, put anything in Google search X Y Z generator, you'll find something. Yeah. But Google Sheets has been the biggest tool that I've been using for note-taking, generators, lists, databases, etc. But that's just because I'm a giant fucking nerd and I like building databases and data engines out of Google Sheets based on function syntax, coding language. So, like, it might not work for you, but that's what I found is the most useful tool for DMing. Baron, do you have any tools? Uh, honestly, my, my biggest go-to tool... And, you know, it's it's going to sound really simplistic, but I, I just use Evernote on my phone. It's like... Oh, yeah. And OneNote, too. OneNote from Microsoft. Mm-hmm. That's also another good one. Just any really, notepad app, really. Really, that's my biggest point of advice, really, mm-hmm. is a notepad. Period. You go anywhere, and you can, you can have something to write down, whatever. Because you're going to be walking around... You are going to see something. It's going to immediately inspire you. And you're like, I got to put that in my game. And then you're going to forget about it. Or it's going to warp in your head to away from the original idea. Which sometimes can work out in your favor. Mm-hmm. But you definitely got to have something where you can write this stuff down. I would say that, that is my biggest, biggest recommendation on what you should always... Like, just what the bit your most important tool. That is your most important tool. And and then, honestly, another good thing, and again, it's going to sound very mundane, be quick with that camera. Be quick with the camera on your phone, or, you know, maybe you're carrying a camera with you. I don't know. But you're going to go places, like, especially if you go on trips, or if, like, you know, you're just in a normal place that you go to all the time, and you just see something different this time. Maybe some graffiti on the wall. Maybe... You know, you go on a hike and you there's a there's a mound there, like an earth earthwork mound, and it inspires you, and you just want to get a picture of it so that you can remember this, or even have a, a visual aid that you can use in the game when you run it. Yeah, I mean, my recommendations definitely sound really mundane, but I mean, I guess I also run with a lot of theater of the mind stuff too. So, but I mean. Yeah, and, and and then the internet in general. Don't be afraid to browse. Uh, you know what actually is another good thing? Like, especially for, like, homebrew stuff. Don't be afraid to go and use, like, Hero Forge. Oh, yeah. And you can go there. You can make some pretty pretty badass NPCs. You know, it, you know we're going off of the, the assumption that you're building this world, not playing in it. Um, but you can come up with some badass NPCs, you know. I think that there is a thing on... Steam that I know a lot of people use, but I haven't had any experience with it. But it is, I think it's a tabletop simulator. Mm-hmm. Oh that, yeah, there's yeah. another one that just came out recently too, which is supposed to be very immersive for battle maps and uh, kind of the like visual ambiance. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's called. I think oh, I'm about to I'm booting up Steam right now just to find out because now it's going to bug me. <laughs> There's one that's been uh, advertising directly to me recently, and I haven't had a chance to use it. But the barrier for entry is to watch their tutorial video. 
Like if you watch the tutorial video, then they'll let you use the tool. So like you don't even have to buy it. You just have to watch it. It is called Ardent, A-R-D-E-N-T. Oh, um, I think I might. I think I have that on my phone. Um, I haven't watched the video yet, but I, I plan on doing it at one point, some point in time. And just yeah, yeah, yeah. checking out the tool. That could be another good one. But I think what it really comes down to is if you've been DMing for a little while, I mean, like, let's assume this isn't your first time behind the screen and you're trying to build a whole world from scratch, right? If you've run a couple games, you have more tools than you think you do. It's right. just a matter of using those tools in a different way and using it to build a world. But I think something that might be fun to do is we've given the advice to just straight up steal. So let's let our listeners steal from us. What's a cool piece of homebrew that you have written and you haven't had a chance to use yet that our listeners can steal from you wholesale? Oh, man. So it would be that that guild, that faction that I built that's never been able to be used, which was the, the Huntsman's Catch, which was stolen by uh, the Slayer's Take from Vox Machina, um, this campaign one of Critical Role. Um, <laughs> that, it was inspired uh, heavily by that. And essentially it operated the same way it, the lore came from the slayer's take after the 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 end of campaign one there was not to give spoilers something bad happened and it was found that in my homebrew uh it was found that the the slayer's take had a hand though not though indirectly with that and so a lot of people split off and made the huntsman's catch and uh found their self uh somehow in Waterdeep, and that's where the the guild happens but uh, you using that and building lore off of it um it was it was a lot of fun to build make your make some uh side quests based on the the monster hunting as well like that's a, that's a very easy thing to do side quests on hunting monsters there's so many monster hunter related mediums out there but yeah take the uh take the the take the the monsters uh or sorry the huntsman's catch and let me know how it goes because you'd be the first one to use it. <laughs> um, I have, I kind of have two. It's one and a half, really. Um, uh, I would like to make a, a guild decree that Baron always has to give two now. <laughs> he usually gives three, so I don't think that would be okay. Too uh, difficult uh, yeah. for him. Guild decree. Pass, anytime, pass two. got it. Anytime that uh, somebody says, "Can I get an example?" Baron has to give at one. least one. Yeah, he has to give more than one. <laughs> guild decree. <laughs> guild decree. Fair. So I have one one that I'm especially proud of, and these are both races. But oh yeah, I already know. My, like, I'm not going to say anything, but like I got excited. <laughs> my my favorite one are the Feltborn, and I I it's funny though because I, I I like made this race, and then I've seen that other people have done it, but mm -hmm. I've actually really really proud of because they fit directly into this homebrew world of mine. So essentially, they are. In this world, in this modern, essentially alternate universe Earth kind of deal, there was a, you know, a huge global conglomerate of, uh, of a company that built itself on children's uh, properties. And the felt puppets of that world in this new fantasy world were so imbued with magic and imagination and stuff like that, they started coming to life. So they essentially became their own race in this in this world. Now, in the game that I'm running, nobody played them as intended. Everybody wanted to 
get this character, the, this this race that I made, and we're like, we want to play him differently. So I had to make sub-races for everybody, and it's like, okay. So if anybody wants to play them as intended, they are on D&D Beyond under Feltborn, so feel free to look them up. And then the other race, which I think is what you were thinking of. Mm-hmm, probably. I originally called Mothrins, but that was because yeah. it was I was doing it on a stream, and but I've changed their name to Ikarans. Yep. Yeah. I was like, it was something with an A or like A, yeah. like R or something. Um, but they're essentially moth people. There was, there's like a whole thing. It's like they, they, they're uh, natural artisans. They, mm. uh, they do have sunlight sensitivity, but they also have light intoxication. So like if they're in, <laughs> so if they're in light or they have to make a wisdom role to avoid being drawn to strong light. And when mm-hmm. they're in the presence of it, they become essentially drunk. But they also have like, you know, the dust from their wings mm-hmm. have like a narcotic effect on people who aren't Ikarans. So yeah, I, I really had a lot of, I put a lot of lore into these guys. I didn't. You did, yeah. I remember it. it took me a couple, a uh, couple sessions to read through it. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And it, if you're a listener, I recommend that. I, what do I recommend? Baron's content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, and and it's funny too because the way I was going to introduce them, it's it's a whole story, and I may even just do a one shot just to introduce these guys. Yeah. You know what? I think I will. I think I will. I'm going to do a whole one shot just to introduce this. Publish that shit. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I will. All right. Clerics of the Scree. I've got a. I've got a couple things myself. One of them is is kind of an adventure hook, depending on how your players take it. But if you have given your players an item and you find that that item is too powerful for you to balance out or or make enemies stronger, it's just too much. I want you to keep in mind that red dragons are very greedy. And if your players have an item that powerful, especially if it has a name, the dragon knows it's out there. They now know your player exists, and they want that item. Which gives your players a decision. They can pay it as tribute to the dragon, they can try to pawn it off to someone else, they can try to stay on the run from the dragon, or they can try to fight the dragon. But no matter what, they are now going to have to deal with a red dragon because of their powerful item. And red dragons are no fucking joke. <laughs> but two, I've been working on this a while, and like a lot of it's technically 12 items. A lot of them are still in concept stage, some of them are fully fleshed out. But I have 12 intelligent items that are based off of the 12 signs of the zodiac. I really want to write them out. Um, so, for example, I have a scimitar that's based on Leo. It can be a plus one, plus two, or plus three weapon, depending on the relationship that you have with the uh, intelligence on the inside. Uh, Leo is a Leonin, and it's a scimitar that instead of doing slashing damage, you can use an action to have it do piercing damage instead, and it does extra damage when it does, and that's the lion's bite. I also have a set of gauntlets that are based off of Gemini that can actually curse you into having a split personality to where you're not sure who's going to be in control at any given time. There's a bow for Sagittarius. There's a shield for Taurus that gives like an improved bull rush. So you can kind of kind of go from there on your own and kind of decide 
what personality and what item fits fits each zodiac sign and what kind of bonuses you want to give your characters based off of those items on the theme of uh taking your ideas and stealing them and creating something else like i if if you knew me for more than a week you would know that i actually i'm a very open person to whatever you want to believe but whenever it comes to astrology there's just something in in me that just <laughs> just makes me fucking irate so I heard that, and my my first instinct was like, "How can I bastardize this?" Um, <laughs> but like the thought is, using instead of the zodiac, use the seven deadly sins, and make that the kind of the theme of that, right? And have the evil cursed items based on that, and have them like relics, right? Like relics of a uh, a bygone age um, that's kind of starting to resurface in this era of whatever fantasy realm that you are in. And then like one thing that I've done in the past is. I know Baron's not going to like this, but around the end of my campaign, my one of my players was like, I want to get a gun. And I was like, sure, you get a revolver, it's cursed. And the lore behind the revolver was, first of all, it was a very early stages revolver, something that you saw like in, the, uh, I would say like the, uh, I think they had them in like Civil War, like end of the Civil War era and such. So it was kind of like that feel, but this weapon, anytime it resurfaced, changed into a different weapon it was a bow at one time it was a sword at one time it had like this uh this long history of that i do not remember what i called it it was something pirate related because he was a pirate uh but that was i mean that's another cool concept to steal as far as lore behind your magical homebrewed weapons mm-hmm. um and there were like cool things that you could do based on like i took the the high noon thing from what was it the the thing that matt mercer did overwatch, overwatch. yeah and like at noon the bullets that are in there something happened if uh um if you got x amount or higher on your initiative you basically can just unload your your the barrel uh you still have the roll to attack but like that barrel like you could basically just take six attacks right off the bat for your uh, for your action now i really want to make a seven deadly sins evil <laughs> sentient weapons to just kind of scatter about the world in various places I should clarify, I kind of feel the same way about astrology. The reason I used the Zodiac (laughs) was actually because of Fairy Tale, the anime. And uh, Lucy had uh, 12 different keys that she would use to summon 12 different spirits, and they were based off the Zodiac. And those spirits were like my inspiration for creating the 12 uh, intelligent items. Not to. You guys are making the Pisces and me very sad. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> you know, not to uh, continue to uh, go off on our own side stories, but like one thing about sentient weapons that I've always wanted to explore is have y'all ever seen Soul Eater? Oh, yeah. Makes make some sentient weapons that are kind of like, like maybe make them a, a, a certain race, kind of like scythes and such. I think that would be kind of an interesting concept. It, sure. It'd be also kind of, it'd also be kind of cool to just have like a sidekick that kind of walks around with you. Yeah, and then when a fight happens, it's like they just burn into they're, like a, they're a weapon, like this uh, monster some... hunter style like weapon. Oh yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. that's a whole ass campaign right there. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you know the the I wouldn't say. Well, oh boy, I am loading onto the DM on this one, but it's like each <laughs> one would have to be played by the DM to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, it would just be an NPC, right? Yeah. yeah. Just never ever meet another NPC because I'd be so overloaded. <laughs> I mean, no one- Soul Eater was kind of like that. There wasn't a lot of like there was just a handful of non batty other characters outside of the the main the core scythes and wielders, right? Like mm-hmm. 
there's Frankenstein and shit. I haven't watched that in a while. I can't remember any of them now. But yeah, it'd be easy. Just I'm like on, you know, just just run that campaign with a bunch of other actual DMs. That way, you know, they can <laughs> run their NPC and not like be crazy with it. That would be, be cool. that would be the way that you could get me to play with more than six people at a table. As if it's all DMs. Yeah, and six <laughs> is like already pushing it. Like I like a four, four player one DM kind of. I like mm-hmm. the Golden Girls rule. Yeah, I I can agree with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I will also say, I do. I would love to add on to another one of Rick's. Like not change it at all, but just add on to it in that this world. It oh the different the other magic item by the way. Um, this world has ten major sword artifacts in it and they are hidden across the world but each sword that you find is connected to the uh oldest dragon of its kind so like if you find like the bronze blade it is connected to the you know the eldest bronze dragon in the world and or if you find an ice blade it's it's but you know each one of them will have a name obviously Mm -hmm. same rules though you find this blade that dragon knows you exist. Mm-hmm. That dragon wants this blade. I would imagine. Uh, I think it'd be cool if those blades just had the same names as the dragon. Like, yes. like it just carried yeah, the yeah. same name. Absolutely. I think you're kind of describing like the the one ring right now. Like, it, once you once you wield it, mm-hmm. they know where you are. Mm-hmm. Yep. But unlike Thoron, they're dragons and they can move. <laughs> yeah. They um, will come get your ass. But I, and that would be great roleplay, though, because if you think about it, it's like, you know, the, these dragons want this blade at all costs. Yeah. So how would each dragon go about getting that blade back? Yeah. You know what I mean? Would they, I mean, the good ones, would they... I mean, sure, maybe a brass dragon would come in and, you know, try to fisticuffs you down and take your blade. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what about a silver dragon? It would, would it fly in and just be like, look, here's the deal. I'm going to have that blade. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a disappointed dad kind of. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm not mad that you found my blade. I'm just disappointed because you seem like a really great guy and I have to kill you now. Or you can or, just give it to me. Or, or yeah. Or even like, you know, look, you can just you give it to me. I'll make it worth your while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could see a dragon doing that. It's like I, I can see a gold dragon, dragon absolutely that. paying you to take to, to get the blade. I would like to see a gold a green dragon do that because green dragons, green dragons are like cunning and there there's like a lot of like intrigue in there and i've always liked the uh um, pulling from like uh, running a green dragons for that reason finding out how they would get that sword i think this episode should be called uh grand theft rick uh because we just keep stealing <laughs> your shit that's true it's fine it's fine that's kind of like the that's that's homebrew right there well just, that's fair we literally that the segment of this part of the episode mm-hmm. was literally Steal what my do you shit. have that other people can? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, that's perfect. I mean, that's a whole world, though. You realize that, right? That's yeah. a whole world in and mm-hmm. of itself, where dragons are like a thing, mm-hmm. and these blades are just. And you could even make it so, like, the dragons generally just leave people. Though, even the evil ones, they're like, "Fuck it, we don't. We have our own shit to deal with. Mm-hmm. We're not messing around with you guys. You know, whatever." Or oh, oh, so the dragons. So the dragons are like, they are kept in check by the eldest of them. Mm-hmm. So like the eldest of them are like, don't fuck with the mortals for whatever reason. 
don't fuck with the mortals because we don't want that trouble. Or don't fuck with the mortals. They deserve their peace. Don't fuck They're with insignificant. the mortals. They're insignificant. Don't fuck with the right. mortals. The theme of every fantasy genre ever. Absolutely. <laughs> but, like, you're, let's just say you're Red Dragon Blade, right? Mm -hmm. The red dragon comes out, and they're like, oh, no, we're keeping this blade. And they end up somehow killing the dragon. What's keeping the red dragon from staying? So they sweep the land. Your act of killing and keeping that blade has unleashed red dragons on the land. Mm -hmm. Or in some of the dragon societies, maybe it's a keep what you kill kind of thing. Like you oh, are now so cool. yeah. the elder Now red you're dragon. the dragon god, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now it's your job to keep them in scaled check. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I want to play D and D now. I haven't played in a few, <laughs> quite a while, because we we're on on this like hiatus, like in between sessions. I mean, we've been, we did podcast stuff, but like, I just want to go play D and D. All right. Does anybody else have any other questions or topics they want to cover? What else can I steal from you? <laughs> <laughs> I need a um, if you can get me um, uh, the uh, a full document or a uh, documentation uh google docs it's free like i said earlier mm -hmm. um of all of your homebrew uh content and just have it on my desk by end of day that'd be great the problem is zero percent of it's written down so <laughs> oh shit you're right it's <laughs> the it's the curse of the judge except dungeon master. For, it's all in your head <laughs> except for if you go back and listen to our D, D experience episode the first one i talk mm -hmm. about a event that i ran where it's a giant dungeon that I had four parties enter all at the same time. And it was four different DMs running four different tables. And I was one guy that was the judge. And I was kind of keeping track of all four parties and where they were in the dungeon. So much fun. And if they met each other, it would go into PVP. I yeah, have yeah. that whole dungeon still. It's in a great big binder with <laughs> grid paper for the maps and like all the monster blocks. I'd have to do some conversion because it was written for fourth edition. That's fine. Um, but I do still have that. It's like the only thing I have that's ever been homebrewed and ever been written down. And I have because oh, that dungeon is entirely homebrew. The wizard that set it up, every room, uh -huh. every encounter, every trap, it's all we we took nothing from an official book. We wrote that. Me and four other dungeon masters sat down and wrote that ourselves you should, entirely. You should digitize that, like and like put it on I mean here on the like on the Discord, right? You know, yeah, make it maybe a resource. I, I mean, it like that, to, you know, it doesn't even have to be five E. It would be helpful, like, but because that's the kind of the this that might quo that might become D &D, the cornerstone but... of Caster's Guild's first source book. Yeah, there you go. That, that giant dungeon is essentially like the Caster's Guild version of like I assume Dungeons of the Mad Mage, right? Yep. Except well, it was entirely one floor. Cause it was all just one great big. Thing. Yeah, well, that's fine. <laughs> just a uh, just levels, but like they're not vertical they're horizontal exactly it was still huge trust me <laughs> yeah yeah maybe they're just like a really heavy limestone in that area so they couldn't dig down yeah so they just dig out like <laughs> texas or tennessee oh yeah yeah mm -hmm. so we have welcomed you into the endless realms of our minds there are some yet to be unlocked and some yet to be fully explored now it's your turn now it's your turn to go out there and build your own world to to uh, narrate the story as you see fit and give your players what they deserve. And that's a a fun time and and a heavy hand in building a world. You know, get at us. Let us know what you're doing. And also, again, feel free to steal whatever you want of what we just talked about. 
we're not <laughs> we're not gonna sue. Just go for it. I'd be happy to see the Feltborn pop up in the world somewhere. All right. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode of Casters Guild. Uh, Anthony, if anybody liked what you had to say and they want to find you anywhere in the internet, where can they do that? Uh, yeah, sure. For the niche group that might want to uh, know, what, might like what I had to say, <laughs> that's going to be uh, online. You can find me pretty much anywhere as Disco Daddy. Um, but uh, more importantly, you can find uh, myself and a whole bunch of other nerdy friends creating ridiculous content for you under uh, the Fandom Encounter table or uh, more known uh, as Project FET. A lot of fun stuff, a welcoming community, bunch of shenanigans at us, I guess. And, <laughs> of course, don't forget to uh, when in doubt, steal Rick's ideas. That's right. <laughs> All right. Email us at castersguild at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what of our ideas you used and how they turned out or talk to us about anything you want. Find us on all the socials. If you have been keeping up with our featured charity, uh, my niece is now eating solid foods with her brand new organs, so that's going well. Um, still got a whole lot of recovery to go through, but you know that's going really well. Make sure to check out that link for the story. Make sure to check out geekyclean.com and links down below. That's the best way to support Casters Guild if you want more Casters Guild content, and we will see you in the next one. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye! Bye. 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 Later. Bye. See ya. Adios. Haha. Bye. <laughs>